Hello and welcome to another episode of the Journal of Isakos podcast. My name is Dr. Andreas Voss and together with Dr. Manos Briliakis and Albert Lin, we're more than happy to have Dr. Brian David from the Dublin City University School of Health and Human Performance and Sports in Ireland with us today. In this episode, we will talk about his recently published article titled Combined Anterolateral Complex and Anterocruciate Ligament Injury, Anatomy, Biomechanics and Management, State of the Art in the Journal of Isacos. Hello, Brian, and thank you for your time to join our podcast. So before we start, maybe you can tell us a few words about your clinical and scientific background. Yes, yeah, so thank you very much, Andreas, for having me. Um, so my scientific background, I'm a professor of orthopedics and biomechanics at Dublin City University. Um, I work as a knee specialist uh, in the sports surgery clinic in Dublin. I have gone, uh, left Ireland 10 years ago and went on a fellowship adventure and uh, got stuck in uh, Melbourne uh, for eight years. I've just recently returned to Ireland. And while I was in Melbourne, I met my co-authors, uh, Thomas Nery and uh, Brett Fritsch. And together we uh, wrote this state-of-the-art review. Great, so how did you come up with this study? Well, we we're all part of the knee preservation um, committee at, at Isikos and we were asked to come up with what we thought was a relevant state-of-the-art review and this has been a, a very topical issue over the last 10 years really so we thought it was about time that we had some form of uh, review on what were the studies out there and particularly we want to focus on anatomy biomechanics and the clinical indication which is often missed out for, for this procedure both myself and Thomas have done PhDs in this area, so it was a good kind of mix of our different philosophies and thoughts on the on the topic. Great. So most recently, the anterolateral complex of the knee has been focus of studies and research with the so-called discovery or rediscovery of the ALL. Can you short describe us the function of the ACL and the anterolateral complex and its history? And can we see this as a unit or do we look at two different systems? Well, I think that first of all, looking back at the rediscovery. So I think in 2013, um, we had this um, new uh, literature uh, came out regarding the anterolateral ligament of the knee. But our understanding when we look further into it, this goes back an awful long time. It was in fact Sagand in his treatise back in the late 19th century that first discovered and this ligament. And we've recognized that the anterolateral complex of the knee, it's not just simply the anterolateral ligament, there are a number of structures around the front um, and a lateral aspect of the knee that are important in uh, controlling rotation of the knee, but they work in conjunction with the ACL. Taken in isolation, the ACL is very good at controlling anterior translation and some rotation, but in combination with the anterolateral complex, it controls more complex rotational mechanisms, such as the pivot shift, as we see pathologically. So also in your article, you meant uh, the anterolateral complex consensus group. What is it about this group that met in 2017? Yeah, so this was at the time where I suppose it was four years after um, the release of the uh, Journal of Anatomy paper um, about the anterolateral ligament. And there was a degree of controversy that existed um, at, at that time. So the consensus was a great idea where they got people who were um, preeminent in terms of studying 
the anterolateral side of the knee and they all sat down in a room and they discussed various different anatomical papers. They discussed the biomechanics of the anterolateral side of the knee and they developed a consensus at that time as to which were the important structures. I think for me, the take home, take away message that it wasn't as simple as just one isolated structure, that this was a number of structures, as I have mentioned, that were really important. And as I have termed in, in, our, in our paper, it's complex by name and complex by nature because it's not, it's just one thing. A lot of things contribute to the control of anterolateral rotation. But they also gave some indications in their paper as to when a procedure should be used like an anterolateral ligament reconstruction or a lateral extraarticular tenodesis when they might be used in the clinical setting. Now I understand. Okay. Another paragraph in your article talks about the biomechanics of lateral extraarticular augmentation procedures. What uh, are your findings about that? Yeah, so we, we try to give a synopsis of a number of different studies that have, have, have taken place. And one of the things that when you read these studies in isolation, you realize that they use quite different methodologies when they look at extra-articular procedures. Some have looked at just an anterolateral ligament reconstruction, and others have looked at what we've termed lateral extra-articular tenodesis. So this can vary from a Lemaire tenodesis to a Macintosh to a more distantly based tenodesis, which is an Ellison procedure. But none of these studies really compare them all um, against each other. And what we thought, and this is where we met myself, Thomas and Nari and Brett Fritsch and with David Parker's group in Sydney, that we, we were um, part of a group that looked at comparing these tenodesis procedures. And essentially we found that different procedures cause different le levels of um, or reduced laxity in different levels. They can create more constraint to the lateral compartment and perhaps they should be used in different settings. So one of the major findings was that the anterolateral ligament and the Ellison procedure seem to recreate native biomechanics more than the Lemaire procedure, which tended to over-constrain the knee. Now, in some situations, you may want to over-constrain the knee if you have a really gross pivot shift for instance, in a revision setting, whereas in those settings where you want to use it more as a prophylactic measure, perhaps an anterolateral ligament reconstruction or an Ellison procedure may be more appropriate. So we introduced the concept of dosing the constraint to the anterolateral side of the knee based on which tenodesis you choose. So what are the indications for using a lateral augmentation procedure? Well, I think we need to split it up into what are the indications in a primary ACL reconstruction. And for me, there is no definitive study that has looked at this specifically. We have to take certain studies like the stability study that um, Alan Getgood was um, one of the uh, principal investigators in. And if we look, take that for example, the indications are high risk individuals. So we recognize that young patients are at higher risk. So people under the age of 18 or perhaps under the age of 20. And it's high risk individuals that are involved in pivoting sports as well. So they are certainly some of my indications for surgery. If we look more specifically at individual physiological states of patients, we recognize that those people who have knee hyperextension of greater than 10 degrees tend to be at greater risk of re-injury. So certainly they would be considered an indication in terms of doing an extra procedure. People have often used hypermobility, but I think the crossover there seems to be the minus 10 degrees of hyperextension. 
Uh, and that's a little bit controversial whether you just preach hypermobility because it differs between men and women, as we know. If you consider it more broadly, then um, you consider patients who have revision surgery probably are at higher risk of re-injury. So perhaps we should include those patients for an extraarticular tenodesis. And that's based on the Einstein's phrase that the definition of madness is doing the same thing twice and expecting a different result. I think we need to think a bit differently when we're looking at revisions in that they may require something more than just the standard ACL reconstruction, which has failed once before and sometimes more. Thank you. Final answer, final question. What would be your advice for young professionals in performing ACL reconstruction or ACL reconstruction in combination with an extra procedure? Yeah, so I think it's, it's very important that as a surgeon, one is not a one-trick pony. And by that, I mean is you can't just apply the same graft to every patient. That every patient needs to be considered for, on their own merits in terms of their own level of pathology. For me, I think it's important to be, have a procedure that's simple, that you can recreate and that you follow up the results. I think doing an ACL reconstruction in a high-risk patient is can be very uh, effective, but they do have a greater chance of re-injuring themselves. And as Alan Gekko's study has shown, that in the appropriate setting, when you do an extraarticular tenodesis, in addition to an ACL reconstruction, you can reduce the re-injury rates quite significantly. So I would certainly have it as part of your armamentarium. But having said that, I would caution that it's not the great panacea, that it is not something that is completely innocuous. It can cause complications. And therefore, I would choose um, your patients wisely, but also follow them up very uh, clearly so you see what's happening in the future. I think, Brian, I have nothing to add to this answer. Um, once again, thank you for your time and uh, joining uh, our podcast and hopefully we'll have you back for your next uh, podcast with your next publication in the Journal of Physicos. I look forward to it. Thank you, Andreas. This was Associate Professor Dr. Andreas Voss from the University Hospital of Regensburg in Germany on behalf of the Journal of Isakos. We hope to have you back for our next episode. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the society or the journal.